0: Are you interested in joining a community of policy influencers working toward positive change? Consider Seton Hall University's results-driven executive graduate programs in international affairs. You can customize your studies through research in regional areas and specializations, including conflict management, global health security, and more. As a graduate candidate, You can leverage a collaborative and dynamic professional platform that includes one-on-one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus, at the UN headquarters in New York, and in Washington, D.C. The program is flexible. Study full-time or part-time, online or at the New Jersey campus just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a webinar, click the link in our episode description.
1: Hello and welcome to the 60th episode of Unscripted. I am Kelechukwu Ogu. Today's show has a slight twist to it. Damilola Banjo, my co-host, interviewed the ambassador and our experts separately. I will be guiding you through their thoughts." She spoke with Ambassador Ruchera Kamboj, the permanent representative to the world's largest democracy, India, and Shyama Venkateswar, a member of the New York City Commission on Gender Equity. Shyama was also Public Policy Director at the Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute at Hunter College. <laughs> start out as always by finding out what India's plans for the month are.
2: We'll start by asking you what will be your signature event for the month of December when you take um, on the presidency of the Security Council?
3: Thank you for having us. I will just tell you very quickly that we are going to focus on uh, two major themes for the month. One will be a focus on uh, new orientation for reformed multilateralism and the second signature event will be to discuss the global counter-terrorism approach and uh, importantly, the way forward. Now, uh, I'm sure you'll agree with me that it is very clear that the UN of today is far from reflective of the true diversity of the UN's wider membership. Similarly. The global development uh, development architecture outside the United Nations is equally distorted and does require intense efforts to enhance the coherence and consistency of the international monetary, financial, and trading systems. Now, the multidimensional crises facing the world today certainly demand a representative multilateral architecture that is reflective of contemporary global realities and is well-equipped to meet the emerging challenges. Uh, You would recall that during the high-level week of UNGA 77, many countries had spoken in favor of UN reform. In fact, I have some statistics that you might find interesting. I am told that 76 countries favored UN Security Council reform and 73 countries spoke in favor of UN reform. So I think, The figures are telling and these statistics speak for themselves. Now, against this background, the External Affairs Minister of India, Dr. S.J. Shankar, will chair an open debate of the Security Council on 14 December, which we very much hope will encourage member states to exchange ideas on key issues, such as how to inject new life into reformed multilateralism in order to ensure that the tools we have today are adequate to address the challenges of the present and the future and what should be the key elements of this new orientation for a reformed multilateralism will also be a focus in the course of this signature event.
1: India's second big debate featured in Ghana's plans for October, how to counter
3: terrorism. On 15 December, uh, the external affairs minister will chair a briefing of the Security Council on the global counterterrorism approach to exchange views on the principles and the way forward. There is also a resurgence of terrorism in recent times and an increased risk of terrorists exploiting the proliferation of digitalization, new and emerging modes of communication and financing technologies. The existing and emerging threats call for a renewed collective approach to terrorism and this high-level briefing of the Security Council will provide an opportunity for the Council to take stock and build on the recent deliberations of the UN Counter-Terrorism Committee meeting held in India in October this year.
1: Shyama does not challenge India's program but has a different agenda laid out for the Ambassador to consider.
4: So first, let me take this opportunity to congratulate Ambassador Richira Kamboj on her presidency of the U.N. Security Council for the month of December. Now that India is at the helm of the presidency of the U.N. Security Council, Ukraine needs to be a very important part of the de-escalation agenda. You know, I know that there have been some steps, Uh, Prime Minister Modi, certainly uh, in the G20 uh, Bali Declaration, mentioned that today's era must not be of war when he was asked on the Ukraine conflict. This was a message that he also delivered during the Shanghai Cooperation Council in Samarkand in September. So given the fact that India has abstained from declaring that act of aggression, remained a neutral uh, member here, neutral participant here, India now has a very good credible role to play in de-escalation and what that might look like. You know, And I think this is related because at COP 27 um, in Sharm el-Sheikh, you know, there were lots of very interesting resolutions that took place on the loss and damage fund for vulnerable countries. India played a role in helping to solidify that commitment on creating this fund. It's going to require investments of at least four to $6 trillion as an implementation plan per year to move towards a low carbon economy. So Ambassador Cambodge has a wonderful opportunity to address the Ukraine conflict from a place of neutrality, to bring countries together, to understand what it takes, especially as President Biden has signaled his interest in sitting down with President Putin in Russia. Those two agenda items of Ukraine and COP27, seven agenda items around phasing down fossil fuels and having countries commit to the the loss and damage fund has to become part of ambassador Cambodia's agenda in her incoming presidency at the security council
1: in october russia became india's largest petroleum supplier india has progressively bought oil from russia at discounted price Unilateral sanctions from the U.S. and its allies are forcing Russia to sell on the cheap. Here is Damilola and Ambassador Kamboj.
2: Available records shows that India has been key beneficiaries of um, Russia's discounted um, oil. Has this in any way influenced the way Indian had voted um, at the General Assembly and Security Council?
3: Well, uh, first of all, I will say uh, that uh, the question has some incorrect assumptions. Um, Let's turn to uh, the situation in Ukraine. First and foremost, India has been very clear from the outset that we are against violence, we favor a complete cessation of hostilities And a return to dialogue and diplomacy. Our prime minister has spoken both to the president of Russia and to the president of Ukraine, and we have been very clear that this is not an era of war. We have condemned uh, the targeting of civilians and civilian infrastructure in the course of conflict, no matter who commits this. Uh, We have very clearly stated that India stands by the United Nations Charter. We support uh, uh, we we favor the territorial integrity and sovereignty of states. We stand by international law. So this has been our position all through the Ukraine crisis. And I feel it must be understood in the right perspective. Um, as far as the question uh, on oil is concerned that you've raised, I think uh, uh, I will state uh, very clearly that uh, ours is a developing country. Uh, the people of India come first and foremost. We have to look into the welfare and well-being of our people. Every other country does it. Should we be any different? Why should we be any different? We will look after the uh, uh, well-being and welfare of our people. Every other country does so. And unapologetically at that, why should India be any different?
1: Speaking of coal, India in 2021 was the second highest consumer of the fossil many in the multilateral system wants to phase out immediately, including India itself. Understanding that India has energy security needs to consider, so... What would you make um, of your country reducing
2: um,
3: the use of coal? Well, let me uh, put this question in perspective. India today has very strong and impressive green credentials. And let me spell that out. Now you would recall at COP26 in Glasgow, India's Prime Minister had announced our aim to achieve net zero emissions by uh, 2070. In one year, we have also submitted what we call a LTLEGS, Long Term Low Emission Development Strategy. Uh, we had submitted it to the UNFCCC earlier this m- month ahead of COP27. Now, the focus will be on the rational utilization of national resources with due regard to energy security. The transition from fossil fuels will be undertaken, I can assure you, in a just, smooth, sustainable, and all-inclusive manner. Uh, You might know that the world's first fully solar-powered airport is in India. Indian railways, likewise, are moving towards complete electrification and increasing the use of solar power. The energy intensity of our economy has reduced by 24%. India is moving very fast towards greening her environment. In fact, we are nine years ahead of our Paris commitments. And by 2030, 50% of of our energy will be from renewable sources. Many people want India to reduce our purchase of oil and then reduce right away in one go usage of coal, well, then how do countries grow? And not taking cognizance of all the attempts and efforts and initiatives and the leadership that has been taken on renewables. So I would urge uh, uh, the journalistic community, if I might say so, to not latch on to preconceived narratives rather to understand and appreciate what countries are doing and bringing to the global top table. So to round off this question, and I'm very pleased that you asked me this question, I will also say that um, India has contributed very little to global warming. Its historical contribution, in fact, to cumulative global uh, greenhouse gas uh, emissions are minuscule despite the fact that we are almost 20% of the world's population. But importantly, what I do want to assure you that we are committed to pursuing low carbon strategies for development and will
0: actively pursue them. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show.
3: We
1: always like to get the ambassadors to talk about affairs back home, either about major issues in their country or the strength of the regional bloc. In the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, China is the only prominent member of the Security Council. It hardly uses the carrot to quell protests. It's always the stick. China also has a policy of non-interference in the business of others when its interests are not threatened. Against the backdrop of ongoing protests in the country, and human rights violations in Myanmar, Damilola asked Ambassador Cambodge these two questions. First, What do
2: you think of the political upheaval in China and does it have any influence on India and the association of Southeast Asian
1: nations? And second,
2: in July, um, when um, China took office and uh, the Security Council um, condemned the execution of um, Burmese um, activists, we, we had an, um, on the episode of Unscripted, our uh, SPAC um, made declare that the Association of South Asian Nations is wary of China's influence and so has stayed impassive about you know, putting pressure on the military government in Myanmar. What is India's stance on the instability in Burma?
1: Before we hear Ambassador Kambodge's response, let's listen to what our expert Richard Garn of Crisis Group said in July.
5: India is on the council now, but India doesn't want to get the Security Council involved in mediating questions about its Himalayan border with China. Vietnam was on the Security Council very recently, but avoided raising any public criticisms of Chinese behavior in the South South China Sea. Uh, you know, for a lot of Asian countries, it's it's simply better to deal with these issues bilaterally or regionally rather than through the UN. Uh, there are big, big differences between China and the, the Western members of, of the Security Council about what to do with Myanmar since last year's coup. But the US and the UK have always avoided proposing any resolutions condemning the Burmese junta um, because they think that if you table that sort of resolution, China will inevitably veto it and that that will lead to a downward spiral in relations with the Chinese. So actually everyone sort of keeps up this dance around Myanmar, uh, avoiding that sort of clash despite their different positions.
1: Just a brief recap. Damilola asked the ambassador to comment on the stability of ASEAN in relation to ongoing Covid protests in China and calls for President Xi to step down. President Xi has a lifelong ambition to remain China's president. We also asked about the repressive regime in Myanmar and the violence it has sparked.
3: It is not our policy to comment on uh, internal affairs or uh, domestic affairs of other countries. So uh, it is not for me, and it will be entirely inappropriate to comment on what is happening uh, within another country. Mm -hmm. As far as the Association of Southeast Asian States is concerned, India has a a very um, strategic partnership with the ASEAN countries. Uh, We engage regularly with them across uh, a wide range of issues. Uh, Very recently, uh, you would recall that the ASEAN summit took place in Cambodia. India was very much present. And we will continue to engage with our ASEAN friends and partners in a very constructive and collaborative fashion. As far as uh, the situation in Myanmar is concerned, we are a neighbor of Myanmar. In fact, four of our states share a border with Myanmar. So therefore, uh, the situation uh, is always closely watched uh, by us uh, as to what happens in Myanmar. We uh, are um, very mindful that uh, we need constructive diplomacy. And uh, we have stated uh, uh, before that we support uh, a dialogue between all stakeholders, uh, which will facilitate a return to democracy, release of political prisoners, and an end to violence. As you know, recently, there was uh, a summit And uh, the uh, ASEAN has uh, a five-point plan, as you know, with regard to the situation in Myanmar. And uh, we are all looking uh, at them uh, to ensure implementation of the five-point plan. And as I've already mentioned at the outset, quiet and constructive uh, diplomacy is the need of the hour.
1: On the last three episodes, we've asked ambassadors and guests what a reflective security council should look like. The responses we received were reflective of the regions the respondents came from. If the council is ever reformed in my lifetime, I would really be curious to see whose reflection shines through. Whenever that evolution happens, though, Ambassador kambush and Shyama are sure of one component. Uh,
2: let's talk about... Um the permanent um, seats at the Security Council. Um, It's been in the news that India would like to have a permanent seat at the Security Council.
3: What do you have to say to this? Certainly we feel that India should have a permanent seat in an expanded Security Council. In 1945, when the United Nations was founded, there were at that time 51 members, and five permanent members. Today, the uh, membership of the United Nations has increased fourfold. You have almost 200 member states and you still have the five permanent members. And then if you extrapolate the situation further, the crises that face the world today, I'm sure you will agree that the current architecture is ill-equipped to deal with that. I think that has been proven. So the case for a reform is very, very clear. And the need for new actors in a multipolar world to claim their rightful place in the global top table is equally clear. And uh, certainly, I mean, if you look at what India has been doing today, just take the last two, three years, the world uh, underwent uh, terrible uh, crisis situations. You first had the pandemic. uh, Then, of course, we are in the present situation. But India reached out to all her friends and partners. I will take this uh, opportunity to reiterate that during the course of the COVID pandemic, India's approach to the pandemic was very people-centric. We supplied 240 million doses of the COVID vaccines to over 100 countries. Aside from that, we supplied medicines, we supplied medical equipment. To some countries in our region, we even uh, provided medical teams Uh, through the course of the Ukraine uh, conflict, India has supplied uh, uh, humanitarian assistance to Ukraine, to Afghanistan, Myanmar, Sudan, Yemen, closer home to Sri Lanka. Then, of course, uh, within the context of the United Nations, you would know that India is a leading troop contributing country towards UN peacekeeping. In terms of uh, economy, we are the world's fifth largest economy, soon to be the third largest. So therefore, I think... If you ask me the question to me the answer is self evident.
2: My very final question today is um what you think about India's quest for a permanent seat at the Security Council. Do you think this is feasible?
4: I absolutely hope uh this happens. Ambassador Comberger's, you know, uh you know, she's given plenty of um Uh, talks and her commentaries that uh, you need reformed multilateralism. She has talked about that at length and eloquently about this, that the current rendering um, of, of the geography, the architecture of the UN Security Council is not reflective of the true diversity of the UN system. Certainly we need to bring India in. If India is being seen as a major player in the developing world, it needs a seat at the table in a permanent way. There are rights and responsibilities that go with that. And I'm hoping very much that in the quest for for a permanent seat, India sees its leadership role to drive equity in the global agenda to bring about global north-south partnerships in a sustainable manner, and to drive the interests of the global south in a more sustainable manner.
1: And just before we call it quits today, we asked Ambassador Kambouj, what does it mean to be a top female diplomat?
3: Well, you know, um, uh, I would take out the word female Ah, and simply say, What does it mean to be a top diplomat? Well, um, I think, um, and why do I do that? Because in the workspace, there is no gender. I firmly believe in that. There is no male, there is no female. You're there in the workspace to do a certain task, to serve your country, and you do it, and you must do it to the best of your ability and deliver to the national interest. So it feels good, it feels great, and first and foremost, It's a great, great honor.
2: New York has our biggest audience and we like to get the perspective of the ambassador about New York City.
3: Well, to be honest, I've been here for four months. I've not seen the city much. We're in the Security Council and that calls for intense hard work uh, with a very dedicated team that backs me. Uh, But uh, what I will say uh, without a doubt, This is a very vibrant, very beautiful city. Uh, For me, uh, from a personal angle, it represents in many ways the very finest that the United States has to offer in terms of size, vibrancy, finance, uh, art, music, theater, uh, people. Um, The United Nations, of course, is headquartered here. So overall, I would say um, fantastic experience in a great, great city.
1: Thank you for listening to Unscripted. This past five years, we spoke with Ambassador Rochera Kamboj, India's permanent representative to the United Nations, and Shyama Venkateswar, a public policy expert and a member of New York City's Gender Commission on Equity. We discussed India's plans for December, its purchase of discounted oil from Russia, ASEAN, and India's coal consumption. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogo. Kelechuku Ogo was the producer, music was by Poddington Bear, Alison Lecce was the fact-checker, and the editor is Dulcie Lineback. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. Unscripted is available where you get podcasts. If you liked today's show, please share it with all your friends and rate us on iTunes.